hear that?
Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey, will you uh, make your way in the sanctuary? Will you stand with us? Let's worship.
For the sin of the world His blood breaks the chains And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb Every knee will bow before Him Thank you, Lord. Worship Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. No matter what we face in our life, you are sovereign. You are over all things. We can trust in you, Lord. We ask you to encourage us this morning, Lord, to strengthen us, to help us understand that we, we don't fight the battle. You fight the battle for us, but we stand in your strength. We don't fight for victory. We fight from a position, from a position of victory. We just thank you so much, Lord. May you remind us in our trials this morning as different circumstances we might be dealing with in our lives. Will you encourage this body this morning? Will you help us, Lord, to make you the center of everything that we do this morning? May our hearts be drawn to you alone. You are worthy of our worship, and we're here to give you adoration and praise, Lord. We're here to be changed and transformed by the renewing of our mind through your word this morning. So we ask you to come in the presence of your Holy Spirit and do the work that you can only do. Sanctify your saints. Bring salvation to those who need it this morning, Lord. And do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
born for sacrifice Christ the Messiah Into our hopes, into our fears The Savior of the world appears The promise of eternal years right? Actually, next week. What am I thinking? <laughs> he shall reign forevermore and evermore. He came as a baby. He is a king, and he is reigning right now. Amen and amen.
Amen. Father, we thank you so much for the voice to sing, Lord. Thank you for your saints that are singing with their hearts to you, Lord. Thank you that we have a reason to sing. For you have sent your Son to redeem our souls. For that, Lord, this morning we are so grateful. Father, you paid the greatest price that anyone could pay. You bought us with your Son. What a precious gift that you have given us, Lord. And this morning we want to give back to you, Lord, our adoration, our praise, our thanks. Lord, we want to give you our lives this morning. That we would be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you, which is our reasonable service, because of what you've done for us. Lord, we pray this morning that this wouldn't just be another church service that we attend. We sing some Christmas songs about Jesus. We hear a word being taught and we leave unchanged people. Lord, today will you change our lives? Maybe for some of us, for all of eternity. For other of us this morning, Lord, will you remind us of our calling to make your son known? Over 2,000 years ago, the angelic host cracked the sky and sang a song about Jesus, that he would be announced in the world. And you've given us that privilege, Lord, to take the fame of your son and make him known. Will you help us this morning, God? Will you help your saints that are stuck to be set free, Lord? We come in the name of Jesus, the mighty, powerful name of Jesus, and we ask you to do your work in us this morning, Lord. We're here for you. We long for you, Lord. We can't wait to see you. But until you return, Lord, may we be about your business. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for everyone here this morning. We ask you to bless our time in your word now as we continue to worship in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, why don't you welcome somebody around you real quick? <laughs> All right, if you would make your way to your seats, that'd be great. Man, you know, I love to hear uh, God's people singing, and, and especially on a song that everybody knows. And there's some beautiful harmonies in here, and just some really, really beautiful uh, time of worship there. And thank you so much for using your gift this morning to bless 
the body of Christ here. That was, that was awesome. And uh, um, if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're with us. There's a card in the seat back pocket in front of you called a Connect card. If you would grab that card, fill out your information on it, and uh, hand it in at this, um, the Welcome Center directly across from the main sanctuary doors, we have a little gift for you. We want to give you some information about our church, give you a little bit of information, uh, a gift to our coffee shop and such like that. So make sure you fill that out. Also, remind you, prayer requests on the back uh, you, and praise reports as well. You can stick those in our offering box, which is in the back corner of the sanctuary. And, uh, hey, it's a very special privilege for me this morning. We have some, uh, some special guests with us all the way from Oklahoma. And uh, we, my, my son has uh, just recently been married, so we have an addition to the family, Miss Kira Romero here. So we're so thankful for that. And we have some new family members. So we have, we have uh, Brett and Tammy and Ryder here, Andrews from Oklahoma. Will you welcome them this morning as well? So we're so glad that you guys were able to make it. They, uh, they stuck around just for that last song. They hear you guys sing. They heard that you had great voices. And so, no, I'm just kidding. But, but yeah, we're so thankful for you guys being here and being able to be part of our even Sunday morning. So grateful for you. Um, just really one announcement uh, today for this week coming up. We have Christmas Eve service on Thursday, 6 p.m. at the church. It'll be an hour-long service, 6 to 7 p.m., um, you know, we'll, we'll sing some Christmas songs. We'll give um, a message of the gospel about why Jesus came. And uh, so we want to encourage you to pray, number one, for the service, to pray specifically who God might ask you to invite, and then for you to actually go and invite that person to come with you on Christmas Eve. And then last but not least, we're going to ask you to bring them with you. So, you know, not only are we asking you to pray, we're, we're asking, that's the most important thing, by the way, we're asking you to invite, to engage with that person, a relational thing, and then we're saying, hey, why don't you just come with us? And, uh, you know, you never know what the Lord will do during this time. As I've been telling you the last few weeks, this is one of two times in the entire year that God has made it real simple for you to invite somebody to church. Real simple. You know, most people are very open. They understand Easter and Christmas are times uh, that to be celebrated and people go to church who have never gone to church before or don't go to church on a regular basis. And so we're, we make those days uh, a very simple gospel message so that people that don't know anything about the Bible can know Jesus and they, their lives can be transformed. So I want to encourage you to do that. 6 p.m. here at the church, we'll have a candlelight service at the end there. We'll, we also, as we do traditionally, have a birthday cake for Jesus. So if you haven't get, had enough sweets already, you can have just a little bit more on Christmas Eve and then go home and do whatever it is that you do as a family. So, uh, hey, we also want to welcome everybody online here today. We're thankful that you're joining in with us this morning as well. Um, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. If you have a Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and... Uh, it looks like Share Sunday is going to be January 3rd. I thought I could finish this last portion of Scripture, um, the last section in 1 Timothy, in one sermon, but I cannot. So we will uh, finish it up next week. Today we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16, 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 6. Now, again, I want to reiterate to you, as I did last week, that Share Sunday is coming up, which means... Uh, if, you, if the Lord's impacted your life in any way, shape, or form in the last year that we've gone through 1 Timothy, or last few months at least, you know, that you would 
come and share. And you don't have to necessarily share from the pulpit. We can take a video of you and we can play that if you're not comfortable with it. But we want to encourage the body with testimonies. It's part of how we encourage people, man. What is God doing in your life? It's the simplest way to share Christ with somebody is just tell them what your story, what God has done in your life. And we want to do that every time we close out a book of the Bible. We go verse by verse through the Bible. And uh, as we close a book out, we want to give people an opportunity to share what it is that God is teaching them, what he's doing in your life. And so if, if that's you, if you're being, you know, if the Lord keeps knocking on your heart, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say that that's the Holy Spirit. And you should ask me, hey, can I be part of that? So I'm going to ask you if you can do that today. Uh, I'll post something online as well, but we would love to hear from you so we know if people are, if the Lord's going to continue to steer us to do that or not. You know, we're, we want to be spirit-led. And maybe that's for a time and a season, but I believe you can never go wrong sharing what Christ is doing in your life and encouraging the body. So I encourage you with that. With that said, will you stand with me? 1 Timothy chapter 6, we begin in verse 11 this morning. Paul says to Timothy, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about to which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who is who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and the only, sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you, Lord, to just uh, quiet our hearts now, Lord. Help us to hear from you. We pray every word would be from you this morning, Lord. Help me to rightly divide your word, to give truth that is necessary this morning, God. And uh, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to be at work in our hearts, Lord. We thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. How many of you guys believe that strategy in life is important? Anybody believe, like, there's, like, two of you that are, like, yeah, I, I think that's super important. That's, this is really going to be relevant to you. But, um, so, how many, really, how many of you guys think strategy in life is important? How many of you guys are goal setters and you sort of set down that you're, you're wrapping up 2020, you're looking over your list, and you're saying, oh, yeah, hey, we did these things and these things we fulfilled. We didn't really get to these things. And now you're starting to already work on 2021. You're saying, here, these are the things that I'm going to do. Well, anytime you set a goal you have to also at the same time set a strategy. You can't, you can't accomplish your goals without a strategy. I learned something very important from somebody a long time ago, uh, and, and it was in an unexpected situation, one of those, you know, I was in a seminar uh, for business at one point, and a motivational speaker was speaking, and he said this, and I think this is important. This applies so much to our Christian life. Listen to this. If you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. If you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. If you set a goal, but you don't change your strategy on how to accomplish that goal, you, I'm sorry, will most likely not accomplish that goal. 
Why? Because there's no strategy involved. There's no way for you to get from point A to point B. We need a strategy in life. We need to, to, to set goals. Yes, that's awesome. That's great. Some of you do that. Some of you don't. But here's what you do need to have in life, and it's a strategy. What is your strategy? Now, this might come as a newsflash for you this morning. I hope it doesn't, and I hope you've heard it enough. But listen, you need a serious spiritual strategy because you are in a battle. You're in a serious battle, and it's no joke. How many of you guys are feeling the spiritual battle in your lives even now? You're feeling the, the, just that serious weight of, of the enemy at work. Paul says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, 12, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. The dominion of evil is at work in your life behind the scenes. And if you don't have a spiritual strategy, you will succumb, you will fail. I, I was reading about a a fellow who actually is a, a well-known um, uh, strategist when it comes to war. And uh, he, he, was, he lived in the 5th century. He wrote this, the famous book, The Art of War. And many, many commanders and chiefs and all these different people have read his book and studied his strategies when it comes to war because he's so brilliant. His name is Sun Tzu. He was... Uh, a, a Chinese general and military strategist. Here's what he said about this whole idea of having a strategy for war. He said, the general who wins the battle makes many calculations in his temple before the battle is fought. The general who loses makes but few calculations beforehand. What is he saying? He's saying that if you don't think about the battle... You don't think about, and what he's going to go on to say is if you don't think about the enemy and understand your enemy and understand yourself, you are going to fail in the battle. You will not win in the battle. Uh, Jesus said exactly the same thing. Do you know that? He said in Luke chapter 14, verses 31 through 32, he said, Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Jesus said it's important to live life with a strategy. It's just reasonable. It's just it's just common sense that God has given us that we need a strategy in life. And, and when it comes to war, of course, you need to consider, uh, you know, your enemy and consider yourself. Sun Tzu went on to say that if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy, nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Listen, some of us wake up in the morning and we act like we're not in a battle. We just get up in the morning and we're just like, this is, uh, this is life and who knows what's going to happen today. I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. I, I, I love what Damien Kyle, one of my favorite pastors, said. He said, I wake up in the morning, I look myself in the mirror, and I said, I'm going to battle you all day long. That's the truth. 
Listen, you not only have the spiritual battle with the, the, the forces of darkness and evil and all those things at, your, at, you know, at, at work in the back of, backbones of your life, but also you have to worry about yourself. You've got to worry about your desires. We talked about that last week. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, as, Tim, as Paul is wrapping up his exhortation to Timothy about how to be a good pastor, about, about what to exhort the, the other pastors in Ephesus and, and what they really should be doing to deal with the false teachers in, that, in, that, in, that, um, in the church there, he, he tells them, he, Paul tells Timothy, you need to worry about godliness. That's what we've been talking about the last two weeks. The false teachers had come in with this message of the prosperity kind of gospel or whatever, and, and they were telling people, hey, um, if you are godly, you will have great financial gain. That's what they were saying. And so, you know, they were fleecing the flock of God. Many, many pastors, many people who have lived through the corridor of history have done that. False teachers. Their only interest is personal gain. Even God talks about the shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel 34. He calls, them, he, he calls them out on the carpet because they're false teachers. They're false shepherds. The reality is, Paul is telling Timothy, man, if you don't guard, if you don't guard against this false gospel that's going forward, then these people are going to be succumbing. They're going to think that, they, that the gospel is a way for them to make money. It is not, but Paul goes on, and we talked about this last week. He said, no, no, godliness is in and of itself what we're, we're going after. It is what we want. And the way that we, we can really maximize our godliness is through contentment. It's through actually going the exact opposite of the world and not pursuing the things of the world, uh, but, but allowing you know, those things to be whatever God wants them to be. And, and it doesn't mean that we're, uh, we, we don't, try to strive and achieve things or anything like that but listen we're all on a journey we're all on it god has a plan for our life you've heard that right god has a plan for my life well that involves a, a, a financial stewardship it involves what what he wants you to be doing and so oftentimes we're wondering man what is my call in life and we're wondering what what it is that god wants us to do we pray we seek we ask you know and i said listen don't assume because you're going to get a promotion at work, that that's the Lord. That may very not well be, very, that, that might not be the Lord at all. Might be the enemy trying to distract you. Are you content? That's how you become more godly. Well, this message continues on. Now Paul is going to talk about some strategies to become and to live and to remain more godly in your life. And so as we come to verses 11 through 21 here, we find a five-fold strategy that will help us become and stay godly. This strategy is found in, listen, these action words. You heard them. Flee, pursue, fight, take hold, and keep. Paul tells Timothy if he hopes to become and hold on to godliness, he's going to need to flee things that tempt him, to pursue things that shape him, to fight for things that matter, to hold on to that which has been given to him and to keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach. The, these exhortations found in the last portion of 1 Timothy are full of energy and action. If you follow this strategy, you will become godlier. 
If you're taking notes, the first battle strategy that leads us to godliness is the strategy of fleeing things that tempt you. Look at verse 11. Paul says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Notice Paul starts here with, but as for you, O Timothy. No, that's not what he said. He said, but as for you, O man of God. It's important that we don't just move past that, those three words, that title that Paul is giving Timothy. Uh, that, that title is not unique in that it's not ever given to somebody before in the Bible, but it is very important when Paul calls Timothy a man of God. This was used in the Old Testament to describe God's spokesperson. Here's the significance of it found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, is that it's the only time that it's ever used in the New Testament. And Paul uses it in the context of reminding Timothy, exhorting Timothy to pursue godliness. He says, oh, you man of God, the title, you're God's spokesperson. Be reminded of that, Timothy, as you're living your life out, that you pursue the right things, that you're not living your life for you. But be reminded that you are, listen, God's personal possession. God's personal possession. Remember that the Bible tells us in uh, Ephesians 2.20, you died. If you're in Christ, you died. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And the life that you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for you. You were bought with a price. Paul, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? You whom you have from God? uh, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Listen, although you and I are what are, we're considered bondservants. And remember, a bondservant in the Bible is somebody who has been set free by his master, but he chooses to become a slave. He says, I'm choosing to enslave myself to you for the rest of my life. I want to be a bondservant. This practice happened all the time. It was a way, remember, slavery, we talked about this um, a few, few uh, chapters back here in 1 Timothy, where it was different than it is in, in sort of our understanding of what slavery is. It was a way for people to, to be supported, to make a living and those kinds of things. So people, would, if they were set free from their master, they would say, I desire to serve you because you're a good master. So I want to give myself over to you. And they would, they would mark them. They would pierce them. They would help them. They would mark them with a mark to know that they belonged to somebody. They were that person's personal possession. They belonged to them. That person then had responsibility to take care of them. And that's what you and I have done in coming to Christ. We said, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I want to be your slave. Let's not water it down, not servant. I want to be your slave, Lord. I want to do what it is that you tell me to do. I want to follow the path that you have for me. And Jesus said, well, I'll I'll gladly pay the price for you. And so he was pinned to a tree and he died to pay for you. You are blood-bought people. And you are personal possession of God himself. You, O man, or you, O woman of God. Don't forget that you are his personal possession and that he has bought you with a price. So remember the calling that you're called to. 
Paul is telling Timothy he needs to stay focused as a man of God. Paul goes on to give Timothy the first battle strategy of war. He says, flee. But as for you, O man of God, flee. This word flee means to escape, to seek safety. It's not a strategy for every battle, but it is for certain battles. And in this case, when Paul is talking about the battle, the context as we move into chapter 6 is ultimately talking about you know, riches, the love of money. He says, Timothy, there's a temptation that I want you to flee from. I want you to flee from that. And, and, and there, you know, we need to flee from our temptations. Some of us think we need to stand firm against our temptations. And I'll tell you, that's not a good approach. A good approach from your temptation is to flee, to run away from it. In fact, Paul says um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee sexual immoral immorality. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, flee from idolatry. Again, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, flee youthful passions. What is he saying? You're not strong enough to stand up against these things. You need to flee them. Otherwise, they will devalue. It's a strategy of war. Sometimes you have to flee in order to remain victorious. And that is what Paul is telling him. Flee these things. The temptation to lust after the riches of the world. You know, this fleeing strategy was the same strategy Joseph used when he was uh, being seduced by Potiphar's wife. You recall the story. He's a servant. He's done well. He's, he, he was put into slavery by his brother's awesome family, by the way. They sold him into slavery. Then he, 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 get, he finds himself, whatever he does, he's blessed because his heart is, is centered on the Lord and he's serving the Lord. And no matter where he is, you know, he's serving the Lord. I hate the, what is it, the Dix, D Disney picture film that they made about Joseph and he's in, in there. You know, I don't think it's at all the right picture. It, it portrays him as... This, this guy that's like, why are you doing this to me, God, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, no, this dude lived by faith. Like, to me, that's how I read it in the Bible. He, he wasn't perfect, of course, but, but he, he was like, God, I'm going to trust you in my difficulties. And so whatever he put his hand to, he worked hard as unto the Lord to, and he rose up in Potiphar's you know, house, and he became the manager of his house and all of that. You know the story, but, but then his wife, she started to, you know, as Potiphar was off doing whatever he was doing, um, she started to have feelings for him. And she said, oh, Joseph, why don't you lie with me? And you can imagine that the storyline isn't just one, it isn't one, just one line. I'm sure this was a period of time where she kept coming after him and coming after him and coming after him. And finally one day, she captures him in a room and she grabs hold of him. That's what sin will do, do to you. It will grab hold of you, and the only thing you can do at that point is flee. Dude ran right out of his clothes and took off, and she's standing there with his clothes in his hands like, what in the world just happened? He fled. That's a perfect battle strategy in that situation. Some of you guys are standing your ground in an area where you need to flee. You don't have any business being where you're being or having that conversation with that person you're having that conversation with. And uh, you're, you're saying, well, it's okay. It's not okay. You need to run from that. That's not okay. It's a temptation that is going to capture you. The Bible talks about in Romans chapter 12 about how our sins so easily entangle us. We need to flee these things. Paul says to Timothy, flee these things. Don't 
allow this. You're a man of God. Do not prostitute, uh, prostitute, prostitute your call for personal gain. He used the example of Balaam. What about Gehazi, who ran over to the treasure after um, Elijah rejected it? He wanted the money. Judas Iscariot, running after money. Listen, Timothy must flee the love of money, for it is the root of all kinds of evil. Again, it's not wealth that is sinful. It's the love of money. And it will put you in a prison. It will entrap you. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you don't need to fight that battle. You need to run from it. The second thing that Paul goes on to say strategy-wise when it comes to the spiritual battle that we're in is there are, we're not just fleeing aimlessly, but we're fleeing to pursue something specific. Look at the right things in verse 11 there, the rest of it. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. These are six virtues that Paul mentions that the man of God must pursue. We're not going to go into a lot of depth on these specific words because you've heard them before, you know these words, and if you don't, go home and do some personal study on these words. But I'm going to give you a general understanding of these words. The first thing that Paul tells Timothy to pursue is righteousness. Righteousness, it's, it, it means to do the right thing. It's referring to our actions. It, it, it's really moral uprightness, virtuous. The man of God should be in pursuance of always doing the right thing. When you find yourself in a circumstance and you're pondering what you should do, your heart should lean towards the right thing. It's not that you're not tempted to do the wrong thing, but your heart should lean. You should pursue the right thing. Right? That's what it means to be righteous. Timothy goes, Paul goes on to Timothy, pursue godliness, secondly, which has to do with attitudes that influence our actions. It refers to the inner motive of the man of God. Therefore, there's a link between righteousness and godliness. Godliness makes us pursue righteousness. Uh, We obey outwardly, which is righteousness, because we are being renewed inwardly day by day and being transformed into the likeness of God. Godliness, God-like. Paul says, pursue righteousness, Timothy. Pursue godliness. And thirdly, pursue faith. This means to trust the Lord in all circumstances. Oh, I got faith in this situation, and yet you're trying to work all the details out on your own. That's not faith. Faith says, God, I'm going to rest and trust in you, and I'm going to just allow you to move. And when you tell me to move, I'll move. But until then, I'm standing firm, and I'm going to just stay the course. That's what faith is. Faith means I'm going to trust you, Lord, when it doesn't make sense to trust you. Faith. He goes on and he says, we're also to love as Christ loves. That means unconditionally and liberal, liberally. You know, we, we don't love people because they love us back. We love people because we have the love of Christ in us. And that love is an unconditional love. That love doesn't love because it's loved. It loves because it is love. God is love, and we has his love in us, and thus we're supposed to love as Christ loves. Both of these are fundamentals of the Christian walk. Listen, if you don't have faith, you can't please God, the Bible says. And if you don't walk in love, the Bible says everything you do is just noise. It's like a clanging uh, cymbal or a noisy gong. 
Both faith and love require a, long, a lifelong pursuit. This is not something that you'll arrive at in life. It's something that you'll have to pursue all the days of your life. Fifthly, Paul mentions steadfastness. It carries the idea of holding out and bearing up the face of, in the face of difficulty, to be patient in times of trial, to endure like hardship like a good soldier. MacArthur commented on this specific word, and he says, it does not describe a passive, fatalistic resignation, but a victorious, triumphant, unswerving loyalty to the Lord in the midst of your trials. That's what it means to be steadfast. God, I'm not moving because I'm not fighting for victory. I already have it. I'm fighting, you know, in, in the midst of victory. And victory looks different to God than it does to us. But I'm going to trust you. I'm not moving unless you tell me to move. And finally, Paul says to Timothy, the man of God needs to pursue gentleness. This word means, means kindness or meekness. It's power under control. It doesn't mean that you're weak, but you're meek. That word literally means power under control. It's like bridling a horse. You know, the amount of power in a horse. That's why we call it horse power, right? Some of us in this room have more horsepower than we know what to do with. But the point is that it's power under control. This, this, this idea of being gentle literally means not to, to not be harsh with people. To not be harsh with people. When the waitress brings your order and it's all messed up. You know, I can't, every time I come here, the gentleness. Gentleness. Don't forget that you are a witness for Christ. Is it really that important? Here's what I'll remind you of is that the Lord is incredibly gentle with you, is he not? How incredibly gentle God is with us. But man, how harsh we can be with other people. You don't deserve it. But you don't deserve it. Because we're all under grace, right? That's the idea. This idea of gentleness as a minister of Christ means that we recognize that everything good that's going on in our life and everything that we, we, we do that, uh, that is good, that appears good, that blesses other people is a result of God. Paul said, it's, it's, it's but, but for the grace of God in me that I do the things that I do. Don't forget that you are a trophy of grace, Christian. Therefore, walk in gentleness towards those who are outside the faith, towards your brothers and sisters inside the faith. Be patient. Be kind to people. These are the six things that Timothy must pursue if he hopes to live a godly life. Well, not only is Timothy to flee things that tempt him and pursue things that shape him, but thirdly, he's to fight for things that matter. Look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Fight is, in war, fighting is inevitable. At some point, you're going to have to make a strong contact with the enemy from the other side. Hoorah, right? Wow, no military guys in here? <laughs> Hoorah, come on. So... You're gonna, you cannot outmaneuver out the enemy forever. At some point, you have to fight. That Greek word, fight, is agonizame. 
in the Greek. And it literally, uh, in the English, it's where we get our English word, agonize. We're to agonize over the, the, the fight, to agonize over it. It's a present tense imperative that carries the idea of continual, strenuous effort to strive. That's what the word means. It, it was used in Paul's day in military and athletic contexts to describe the level of effort needed to bring victory. We must agonize towards victory in this spiritual war, Christian. However, again, it's important to note that we're not fighting for victory, but as a result of victory. Victory is already ours in Christ. We just need to realize it. And, and, and I said before, and I'll say it again, that God's victory may look completely different than victory in your eyes. And I'll remind you of a crucified Savior on a cross who was pinned to the tree, who his disciples all fled at that moment, thinking, oh, no, our world has collapsed. And God says, no, no, it's okay. That's what victory looks like. That's what victory looks like. Victory looks like a crucified Savior on a cross that was beaten to a bloody pulp. That's what victory looks like in my eyes. It was the only way. But there is a way, and it, the way is Jesus Christ, and it didn't come in the way that his disciples thought that would come. They, they, they were ready for him to set up his kingdom then. Lord, when are you going to set up your kingdom? We're ready. The carpet's rolled out. Let's storm you know, the temple, and let's take it over. That's what they were thinking. They didn't understand, and in fact, there's still many Jews to this day that don't understand the eschatological um, you know, portrait that that God painted through uh, the old prophets of old relating to Christ that he would come twice, not just once. He wouldn't just come as a victorious king, but first he would come as a suffering servant, that he would have to pay for the sins of the world, that he would have to become literally the lamb of God. He would have to become the Passover lamb that would take away the sins of the world so that we could have access to God. And he did that, but that's what victory looked like. And the next time he comes, he's coming on a horse, and he's coming with a sword. And he's coming to reign and rule on this earth. But listen, I don't know what you're going through today. But what I can tell you is that you're not, if you're a Christian, you're not fighting for victory. You know, you're fighting from a position of victory. And maybe you're off on, the, you know, on, down a rabbit trail that you shouldn't be down. Or maybe this is right where God wants you. You know, we don't, God never promised you that you would have it easy. He didn't promise you that you would have a pain-free life. No, in fact, he promised the very opposite. But what he promised us is that he'd be with us even to the end of the age. That he would give us the strength and the power to walk through whatever it is that we have to walk through. So we have victory. We just need to walk through it. So, as Paul said to Timothy, I say to you, press on towards the prize. Push forward. You know, trust the Lord and just continue to, to let him do what he's going to do. Don't worry about what victory looks like. Just hold firm with, to the things that he's doing. Fight the good fight. Paul, Paul literally means to tell Timothy to engage. Engage in what? In the good fight. Some of us as um, Christians in the world does a really good job of making us feel this way is that if we ever say anything about anything, that we're being judgmental. Have you ever had that conversation with somebody? Like you're, you're talking from a bill. Even Christians say that. Oh, don't judge me. I'm thinking like, wait a second. 
we're talking about the Bible. I'm just quoting a verse, and you're telling me I'm judging you. How is that judging you? When I'm using God's word, if somebody's judging you, it's the Lord, but I'm pretty sure he can do that. He can judge you. I'm not judging you. I'm just explaining what the scriptures say. And so what, we, what, what it is is it's a tactic of the, the enemy. The enemy wants to keep you silent. He doesn't want you to say things because he doesn't want the, he, It's a war on truth. The enemy is warring against truth. Again, we, I shared this before. He's done it from the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, it was a war on truth. It was a war on God's word. So when we quote God's word, we're going to be met with a spiritual battle. And we're going to be met with people that want to resist it. But here's the thing is the good fight, the good fight is to, um, is to stand firm for the faith. To fight for the faith. To not let people say whatever they want to say or do whatever they want to do. However, there are some things to fight about and some things not to fight about. Right? The, the things that we must fight about, the good fight that Paul refers to is the good fight that refers to the gospel, the salvation of mankind. That is the fight that is worth fighting. Because people have this idea that they can get to God however they want. If they're a good person or, you know, um, there's many roads to heaven and there's lots of different ideas about this. However, the Bible just says there's one way, you know, and it's Jesus Christ. So when we have a conversation with somebody and they start to say things like that, we have to fight the good fight. We have to tell people the truth. We can't allow people to think whatever they want to think. The Lord put you in their life. It's not a coincidence you're having that conversation. It's not like, oh, well, Lord, you picked the wrong guy. I'm not going to say anything. No, he, he picked you. That's why you're there. If he didn't want you there, you wouldn't be there. You wouldn't be in the conversation, but he picked you, and he wants you to fight the good fight. Timothy is a timid pastor. Timothy has a problem of, you know, fighting the good fight. It appears from all throughout the scriptures that he has a little bit of an issue with that. So Paul is exhorting him, Timothy, there are some things we're fighting for. And some Christians believe that it's just unity always, no matter what the subject is. And I would say it's unity as much as possible, as much as we can make it about unity, not about the secondary things of the Bible or our own personal theology about the way that we see eschatology or the way that we see all these other things about how the end times will unravel and all that kind of stuff. Lots of people have lots of opinions about that. And it's okay to have your opinion about that, and it's okay to discuss that opinion, but, you know, we don't fight over those things because we wait and see what the Lord's going to do. I have a very strong opinion about the way that I think the end times are going to roll out, but I'm not going to fight with you over it. And, you know, I'm not going to fight with people over it because it's not worth fighting for. But the gospel is. And the gospel is something that we need to fight for. We don't unify with people who are ununified with, with, with a watered-down message. We talk to them about the gospel. And we don't, again, with, with the idea of being gentle, right? The idea of, of trying to be edifying in that conversation. The Bible says, do all that you can to live at peace with all men. And yet, at the same token, we're to fight the good fight when it comes down to things that are worth fighting for. When eternity is at stake, we are to fight. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's going to set a person free? Their own theology about things? No, it's the truth. So we 
we tell people the truth unashamedly. We tell people the truth when it relates to things that, are, that matter when it comes to salvation issues. This brings us to our fourth strategy, which is to take hold of that which you've been given. Look at verse 12, the rest of verse 12 there. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul isn't telling Timothy he needs to get a grip on salvation, but to lay hold of something that he has relating to the uh, reality of salvation, which is, you know, the reward, which is eternal life. Lay hold of eternal life. Don't forget that you're saved. Don't forget that you have eternal life, Timothy, that that's the whole point of salvation. No, he's not telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to worry about your salvation. I'm not sure if you're saved, Timothy. I'm not sure if you... No, he's, he's telling him to take hold of eternal life because he has it already. He needs to take hold of it. And I can tell you for a period of time in my life, just uh, as a you know, young Christian and, and not really knowing the word a whole bunch, and um, you know, I, I struggled with my salvation a lot. I, you know, every time I sinned, I'm like, man, am I saved? Am I not saved? How could I, you know, and, and I found a, an interesting place in Scripture. And it, it, it's, uh, it, it, it tells us a lot about this battle that we have. And um, it, the Apostle Paul happens to be the person that's dealing with this. And um, I, I was reading in my Bible, and, and I, I, was, I was thinking about these things. I was a, a young Christian, and I was thinking, man, you know, Every time I sin, what does that mean? Sin separates us from God. How can I be saved if I'm still sinning? And yet, John, I read in 1 John, it says, if you say that you do not have sin, you're a liar. I'm like, dude, I'm confused. What in the world? And then I, I read these verses from Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 19. For I do not know the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul goes on to say here, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do, the, do, do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner body, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, here's the truth. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I serve, so then I, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He's saying, listen, my soul is saved. But I'm stuck in this trap of understanding this thing. The things that I don't want to do, I'm doing. The things that I want to do, I'm not doing. And then he goes on to Romans, verse, Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been set free. If you're in Christ, you've been set free. How do I know if I'm in Christ? Jesus just said, if you abide in me, if you keep my commandments, you're in Christ. doesn't mean you don't sin, but your, your heart is bent towards doing the right thing. Has you, have you been changed? If anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old's passed away, he's become new. That's the idea. We have to fight for things that matter. 
And the thing that matters is salvation. Paul says, take hold of that which you've been given, which is yields eternal life. Grab hold of it, Timothy. Don't hold, don't, don't allow yourself to live in this pondering of wondering, do I have it or do I not have it? Grab hold of it. Christ said, if you're in me, you're secure in my hand. Grab hold of it. Hold on to it. Uh, we didn't do anything to get saved, and I don't think we can do anything to get unsaved. It was Christ who saved us, and we're in his hand. No one, the Bible says, can take me from his hand, not even myself, if I'm in Christ. I'm secure. Take hold of that eternal life. Which brings us to our fifth strategy, which is to keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach. In verses 13 through uh, 16, Paul is charging Timothy, literally. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who is the testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, who he who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Paul is charging Timothy. Literally, he's commanding Timothy to what? To keep the commandment. To keep the commandment. Paul says, I charge you, Timothy, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. When he speaks about the commandment, it's in a singular tense. So he's like, well, what commandment are you talking about? Are you talking about the commandment that, that he's to flee from these things? Is that the commandment that he's talking about? Is he talking about fleeing from worldliness and from the, the love of money and riches and those kinds of things? Is that ultimately what he's talking about? I think he's talking about a broader context. You know, it could be that he's talking about that. I kind of bend towards the idea that he's talking about the entirety of the word of God, the command, the commandment in, in general, uh, you know, of the entirety of the word of God. Second Timothy 4, 2, Paul commands Timothy to preach the word. It's a command, preach the word. And I think when he talks about here to keep the command, he's speaking about the entirety of it. And he's supposed to keep it in a very specific way. He's supposed to keep it unstained and free from reproach. Well, how does he do that? By the way he lives his life. He needs to keep it. He needs not just be a hearer of the word or a proclaimer of the word, but he needs to be a doer of the word. He needs to be somebody that's not a hypocrite. He needs to be living his life in a manner that people could read the Bible and say, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's how we're to be living our lives. And, and of course, we're all to some level hypocrites, aren't we? I hope that's not a newsflash to you. He's like, I'm never coming to this church again. That guy called me a hypocrite. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, but the reality is, is we're called to keep the command unstained. That's a, that's a manner of living. That's the way that we live our lives, free from reproach. We're not, allowing, we're not to allow other people to bring reproach on the word of God. You know, we're accountable to each other. And so when I see another believer online and, and, and they're, they're blankety-blank in this and blankety-blank in that and they're this and that and that. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, you know what I do? I, I, a number one, 
Never a good idea to just post on somebody's post, you know, like, hey, I'm a nice Christian, huh? My, you know, probably not a good idea. I'm just saying that might create a little bit of hostility. You know what I do? When I see somebody who, like, one post is, like, so Christian, you know, it's so God and this and that and whatever. Then the next post, you're, like, going, what in the world? You know, it's some, something that you're just, like, that's totally not Christ. Right? I, I like to send people private messages. I like to say, hey, man, how's it going in your life? Because here's the reality is there's a disconnect somewhere. Could be a circumstance that somebody's going through that they're just, they're just blowing it and they need a little bit of encouragement, you know, you pray to the Lord. You ask the Lord, how do I, like, again, um, you know, don't, I don't peruse Facebook for that reason. Like, I'm not looking to tell somebody something about what they're doing wrong. Some people do that. That's not what I'm doing. But, but if the Lord brings that across my table, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going I'm to address that with that person in a godly way. I'm going to tell them, like, hey, man, What's going on in your life these days? I don't just come right out and say, dude, what is that? You, you start a conversation, and you have a conversation with somebody. You tell them, like, hey, how's it going, man? What's going on in your life? I notice that you, you're, are you a Christian? I didn't know you're a Christian because I see that you post some of these things. And you start the dialogue with somebody. And then you, at some point, you, you get to the point. Like, hey, I, I just noticed that sometimes you post good things, but... Some, some of the things you post probably aren't very, I don't think Jesus would be like, hey, yeah, you know, I really like that. I, I don't think he would be like that. You might want to be careful about what you're posting because remember that when we say, hey, look at me while I'm a Christian, people start looking and they start watching and then we're, being, we're bringing reproach on the name of the Lord and on, on his word. So we do that in a careful manner, in a prayerful manner, right? I'm not the Holy Spirit. But, but if the Holy Spirit brings something across my desk, I need to be faithful to it. So Paul is telling Timothy um, to keep the command, live your life in a way, deal with false teachers that are going, um, you know, that are in the world, that are, that are bringing reproach on the name of Christ, on the word of God. He, he, he now sort of brings Timothy under some serious accountability. And the, the way that he does that is, he, he, look at he says, I charge you in the presence of God. It's like, whoa, come on, man. Did you really have to do that? You're, you're putting me in the presence of God. Like, it's not just, hey, Timothy, I charge you to do this, but in the presence of God, he's calling God's presence down in his life. Wow. Not only the presence of God in accountability, but he's also bringing the, the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, oh, by the way, you know, I'm calling the presence of God down on you, but also I'm calling you to live in the same way Jesus lived. Here's his testimony. And you're like, whoa, that's serious stuff. Well, it is serious stuff. That's why he's doing it. He's telling him, dude, it's serious to live for the Lord because it can, it can stir people unto godliness, but it can stir people to repel Christ as well. So we want to do our best to do that. But... Um, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God. He's, he's telling him, God is here, Timothy. He's watching. He's watching everything. And he wants you to live your life in, in a way that would please him, not, not the way that would please man. You know, you're, you, you're living in the presence of God. So please him. Don't please man. And he, and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is 
his test, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Jesus was faithful to the command even when he stood before Pilate. When his life was on the line, Jesus stood his ground. He stood his ground. He didn't run away. He didn't, he didn't recant. He didn't, he didn't bow his knee. He, he was asked some direct things from Pilate. In fact, I want to read it to you. John chapter 18, verses 38, 33 through 38. So Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it about me? Pilate said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Jesus' testimony is all about standing for the truth. He stood for the truth. He didn't he didn't recant even when his life was on the line. He didn't defer. He didn't run from the truth. He stood for the truth. Pilate doesn't even understand what he's saying. Jesus knows that. He knows who the real culprits are here. He knows that they're outside chanting, crucify him. He knows that. And yet he has an opportunity with a king here. And he says, listen, I am a king. I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. That should have perked Pilate right up to say, what is he talking about? And isn't it interesting that it was Pilate who ordered Jesus to have the title put above his name, King of the Jews, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived faithfully even when his life was on the line, and you're called to do the same thing. Paul is saying not only are you living in the presence of God, but you're to live by the same testimony of Jesus Christ who went before Pilate and was found faithful. Be faithful. No matter what it is that you might face. How long is Timothy to do this? Is he supposed to do this the rest of his life? He's supposed to do this until Christ appears, it says. Until Christ appears. That means Paul is calling all believers everywhere into the presence of God and Christ to keep the command until he comes back. He is coming, you know. Christ is coming, and, and no one knows the day or the hour in which the Son of Man will appear, but what we do know is that that, that that day is going to be in the proper time, as he says here. There's a specific amount of time that the Lord has laid out. God is outside of time and space, and yet he, he's on a timetable. It's a, it's a prophetic timetable, and he has set the course, and he's made predictions about certain things that will happen, and, and he set the course on when Jesus Christ will come, and then when he'll come back again for the second coming of Christ. These things are written in his word. He has an appointed day, and it's not going to happen any faster than we want it to. 
and it's not going to happen any slower than we want it to. It's going to happen at the proper time. It's the time that the Father has ordained. Uh, you might recall Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, 32 and 33, but concerning the day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. Here's the point that Paul is making right here. Is he's telling Timothy, listen, you have a call on your life to preserve and protect the truth. And I'm calling you in the presence of God. You're accountable to God. You're to live the same way Jesus lived. But, but understand, it's going to be in the vein of the eminency of Christ. And it will always be the eminent return of Christ, no matter who you are. Christ could come back in the very next breath. He's not limited to do anything that we're doing. He, it's, it's a time set by God, the Father, that the Son has subjected himself to. And he said, whenever the Father calls me to go, I'll go. And he will be coming soon. But here's the deal, is that our motivation is that we don't know when. We don't know when. That's why we're to keep on guard, to keep awake. Because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. And Paul says it's in the proper time. And so we, we live that out. Now he moves on into this doxology, this spontaneous praises. He thinks about Christ coming back. And, and he's talking about living out the testimony of Christ. He goes on to say, he, the Father, is the blessed and only sovereign. This means that he is totally in control in and of himself. Isaiah 43.3, also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? God is completely sovereign over everything and in everything that's going on in the world. He is omnipotent, and he is ruling over all things. For he is, Paul goes on to say, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. No one can rival his matchless power. He has no rivals. This would include Satan, who he as a created being, was cast out and sentenced to eternal hell by the authority and the power of God. God is all-powerful. God is almighty. He, is, he alone is, it, it has immortality, meaning he's eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. He is, as, as we sang earlier, he will reign forevermore. From eternity past to eternity future, he has always reigned. He will always reign. He is ruler of all things. He alone has eternity in his hand. He dwells, Paul says, in unapproachable light. Thus no one has ever or can see him. God is literally so holy and so pure that his very presence was caused men to fall dead before him. You recall the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 13, verses 18 through 20, where Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, but he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. That, that's why we, we, we can't come into the presence of God. 
He is so holy. He is, he is unapproachable outside of Christ. No flesh can, can be before him and live. So, but we will see him one day when we are changed in the twinkling of an eye, when we have a rede- redeemed body, when we are in the, the spirit body, the spirit man, and we are in perfection as he is perfect, we can gaze upon his beauty because we're in the same state as he is. But right now we can't. Anybody who would see, it's not speaking of Jesus here because people have seen Jesus. Jesus is glory concealed. He's in the flesh. He's wrapped up. Glory in there. He's the God-man. He's still God, but he's fully man, clothed. His, the Bible says that he emptied himself in Ephes- uh, Philippians chapter 2. And he took on the form of man for us. He concealed his glory. We can't see him. He dwells in an unapproachable light. Here's the awesome thing, though, is do you know that the Bible goes on to say that Jesus is the eternal light that we will live in forever and ever and ever? Like, I don't know what breathtaking, you know, sunset or moonlight or whatever it is that you're like just goggling over, you know, whatever, one of those things. The reality is, is that when you're in Jesus's presence, it will never get any beautifuler than that, man. It, it'll be amazing. He is, he is the light that we are going to bask in for all of eternity. And Paul ends this doxology with, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. In other words, Here's what he said, let God always be respected and may his rule never end. This is what he's saying. God deserves the honor. He deserves, he reigns over the eternal dominion forever and ever. And the word amen means let it be. As it is, let it be. Never forget this church that you are in a battle. You're in a war. And if you don't live according to the strategy that that the Lord has given us in his word, you're destined for failure. Paul gives Timothy a real simple strategy when it comes to living, um, uh, when it comes to the war that we're living in here on this earth. He, He tells us, flee things that tempt you, pursue things that shape you, fight for things that matter, take hold of that which has been given to you, and keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for just the glory that we find in it today, Lord, and and for the encouragement, Lord, of knowing that you didn't set us up in this world with no strategy, with no way to live a godly life. You gave us your son so that we could be bought and paid for. Then you gave us your Holy Spirit so that we could live in power and so that we could walk in newness of life, and then you give us a strategy to follow. Lord, your, your word continues to uh, magnify itself in, in, the, in the reality of the one verse that Peter said, we have everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need. You've done it all, Lord. The only thing we need to do is walk in it. Will you help us this morning, God, to, to live the life that we're called to live. Will you help us, Lord, to apply this, the, these five strategies to our lives so that we can uh, be successful and so that we can be godly people, Lord, so that our lives can be changed and transformed. We are a work in progress for sure, but we're your work in progress. And we want to be progressing, Lord, not regressing. So will you help us? Will you encourage your body this morning by your Holy Spirit to 
press forward, Lord, to, to, although 2020 has brought many unexpected things in our lives, Lord, we know that you're in control. And as we move forward into 2021, Lord, may we focus on the things that matter. God, will you help us to stay the course? To be people who are um, bringing glory to your name and not only what we say, but how we live, Lord. More importantly, how we live. Fill your saints with your spirit this morning, Lord. And I just want to, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you, that doesn't have a right relationship with you, that is here this morning saying, man, how do I take hold of eternal life when I don't have it? Well, it's a, it's a gift and it's to you even right now. Christ came to die on a cross for the sins of the world. He has given the invitation to anyone who desires to have eternal life to take hold of that gift this morning even. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure, am I going to heaven, am I not going to heaven, has your life been changed and transformed, right now is the time to make your eternity certain. The Bible tells us that we have to but do two things. Confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning we're turning our whole life over to him. That we have to believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that really the evidence of the victory is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you're still in your sin, you're not forgiven, and you desire to be forgiven for all of eternity, that God would wash your sins away, that he would forgive you. You just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you. And I ask that you would wash me clean this morning. I turn away from my sin. And I turn to you today. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I don't want to live for myself. I don't want to live for these temporary things in this world. I want to live for you. I want to go to heaven. I want to be in eternity with you forever. I believe that you died on the cross for me personally. That your blood was spilt for me so that I could be washed clean. And I believe that you rose again from the dead personally for me. And I'm proclaiming you now, the Lord of my life. My life is yours in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, hey, listen, you have come into a right relationship with Christ, and we would love to know about that. There's some people up here to pray with you. Come up if you've done that and let us know if you're online. Just mark it in the comments. We'd love to connect with you. Will you stand with us?
Bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you on Thursday night, 6 p.m.